This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. The Humanist Report podcast is funded by viewers like you through Patreon and PayPal. To support the show, visit patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member at humanistreport.com. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Humanist Report Podcast. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is episode 305 of the program. Today is Friday, September 3rd, and before we get started, I want to take some time to thank all of the folks who make this show possible. All of our newest Patreon, PayPal, YouTube, and Twitch members, all of which either signed up for their very first time to support us this week, or increased the monthly pledge that they were already giving to us. And that includes Adam Prawl, Aztec Zicano831, Channel, Chris R, Crazy Hawaiian and PA, J. Cole Knight, Leon Chow, Mad City Miss Kitty, Matt McClory, Zero X Gadget Maker, Tim Bob RN, Tyler Poe, Vorindan, and X Apple X96. So thank you so much to all of these kind individuals. If you would also like to support the show and join the independent progressive media revolution, you can do so by going to humanistreport.com slash support patreon.com forward slash humanist report or by clicking join underneath any one of our youtube videos this week we've got a great episode for you we'll reflect on the afghanistan war which has officially come to an end also republican lawmaker madison cawthorn tacitly encourages violence bernie sanders promotes his 3.5 trillion dollar reconciliation package also on this episode an icu doctor tears up discussing his experience with unvaccinated covid 19 patients who are dying every single day prominent anti-vax republicans continue to die from covid and we'll talk about how a california teacher caused a massive COVID outbreak in her state among her students so that's what we've got on the agenda for today's episode and some more segments hopefully you like what i have in store for you let's get right to it folks so over my right shoulder is a photograph of a man named caleb wallace 30 years old father of three he is the founder of the group called freedom defenders now this group staged two major protests protests against lockdowns related to the pandemic uh, protests against mass mandates and also covid 19 vaccines caleb wallace after founding this group contracted covid 19. he died as Yahoo News explains, Wallace of San Angelo had been at the local Shannon Medical Center since July 30th. He had been unconscious, ventilated, and heavily sedated in the ICU there since August 8th, the San Angelo Standard Times reported. Caleb Wallace began experiencing COVID-19 symptoms last month. Jessica Wallace, his wife, told the newspaper that her husband initially refused to be tested and took unproven home remedies for the virus, including high doses of vitamin C, zinc, aspirin and ivermectin a deworming treatment commonly given to livestock yeah so obviously ivermectin did not save his life the vaccines however would have saved his life had he not believed the misinformation about ivermectin being a treatment for covid 19 that's sufficient and had he just gotten what's been proven to be safe and effective one of the covid 19 vaccines he would still be here today he would still be there for his children today but he fell for misinformation and he died after possibly influencing hundreds of other people through the group that he founded to also not take the COVID-19 vaccines also to be anti-mask but he's not alone 
I want to talk about another individual named Robert David Steele. Now, you might have heard of him before because he famously proclaimed on Infowars that NASA was running some sort of a child slave colony on Mars. And um, yeah, on top of that, he joined and popularized QAnon. He was a 9-11 truther, a Sandy Hook truther, and he later became a COVID-19 truther and even bragged about being one of the first people in the country to call the virus a hoax. Well, he ended up contracting COVID-19, and he also died from COVID-19. Vice News reports, Steele, who was among the earliest QAnon promoters and helped the conspiracy theory move from the fringes of the internet into the mainstream, was hospitalized with symptoms of COVID-19 earlier this month, but he continued to spread anti-vaccine and COVID denial conspiracy theories until the end. Quote, I will not take the vaccination, though I did test positive for whatever they're calling COVID today, but the bottom line is that my lungs are not functioning, Steele wrote in his final blog post on August 17th, accompanied by a picture of him hooked up to what appeared to be a ventilator. Now, Steele's friend named Mark Tassi, who is a fellow conspiracy theorist because, of course, confirmed that he did indeed pass away, and he seems to be implicitly blaming the hospital, claiming that they didn't give him hydroxychloroquine tablets and even prevented him from taking said medicine, except hydroxychloroquine wouldn't have saved Steele's life. Getting vaccinated would have, though. Notice a trend yet? Mark Bernier, considered a mainstay on conservative talk radio in Florida, was vocally anti-vax, even considered himself Mr. Anti-Vax, claimed that the government was acting like Nazis by encouraging vaccinations, has, well, I mean, I, I think you already know. As Politico reports, a conservative Florida radio host who spoke out against COVID-19 vaccines died after a weeks-long fight with the virus, marking the third radio personality to die from coronavirus who publicly rejected vaccines. Yeah. And look, we can keep going. Christian radio host Jimmy D. Young, who called vaccines government control, dies of COVID-19. Unvaccinated Florida woman comes home from COVID hospitalization to find unvaxxed husband dead of COVID. Conservative radio host who mocked vaccines, Phil Valentine, dies of COVID-19. Vocal anti-vaccine broadcaster Dick Farrell dies from COVID-19 complications. Leslie Lawrenson, who bought into anti-vax misinformation on Facebook and shared videos of himself after contracting COVID, telling people that it's nothing to be afraid of, ended up dying from COVID-19 as his condition worsened. Do you get the point yet? How many people who you listen to are going to die from getting COVID-19 after telling you that the vaccines aren't safe, aren't effective, how many more deaths is it going to take? I just, I don't understand it. A lot of folks, probably, they started on this trajectory, you know, they believe that vaccines aren't safe or they're less safe than getting COVID-19 because they were duped by misinformation. You know, they, they vocalized this and then somebody confronted them about that and maybe they doubled down and they're just like abiding by this belief because it's really difficult as human beings to be proven wrong. But this isn't about proving anyone wrong or anyone being proven right. This is about your life. This is about your life. What do you care if you're proven wrong or right at the end of the day if you end up dying because you refuse to do what's been proven to be effective at preventing death because of this virus. What's it going to take? I mean, I just, I don't understand why people will seek out some sort of alternative treatment, be it hydroxychloroquine, 
ivermectin when we know exactly what's going to prevent you from landing in the ICU or dying from COVID-19, the COVID-19 vaccines. But people just, they're stubborn, and once they select a belief, they're not going to deviate away from that belief. Part of it is they like, you know, I don't know, triggering people, owning the libs by not being vaccinated, by sharing anti-vax misinformation. But this isn't about anyone. This is about you. This is about your health. So what I want my viewers to do is share this video. Share this video with someone who they know who's anti-vax. And understand that this video being shared isn't out of spite. It's not to prove you wrong. It's to tell you to protect yourself. These deaths are sad. And yes, it is deaths of people who are propagating the spread of misinformation that will lead to more deaths. But it's still sad. And these should be lessons to everyone who listens to these individuals. They're dying because what they said was wrong. And it doesn't matter if you getting the vaccine means that you were proven wrong. It's not a defeat to do what's right and logical to protect yourself. It's to be celebrated. I know people in my life who were anti-vax. They saw the way that COVID-19 affected one of their loved ones, and then they got vaccinated. Guess what? I didn't shave them. I didn't shame them and yell at them and say, ha, see, I told you I was right. I commended them for doing that. Because changing your mind and becoming right actually looking at evidence, listening to experts, that's to be commended. It's nothing that you should be ashamed about. We've all been wrong at some point in time. If you're a human being, at some point in your life, you're going to be wrong. And admitting that you're wrong is just a part of life. It's part of the human experience. And what's worse, dying from COVID-19 or living but having to admit that you were wrong? And, you know, I'm assuming that people deep down know that they're wrong. I think a lot of people truly believe, you know, to their cores that this vaccine is more dangerous than the virus, which is absurd, but they have been duped by misinformation. And as many people as we can possibly convince, I want to, I want to try. I think that's a worthwhile endeavor because every single life matters. Seeing these folks die at such young ages is horribly sad. And had this person not been stubborn and misinformed and misinformed others possibly who might also die, things could be different. So just stop with the stupid misinformation, turn off Facebook, stop listening to Fox News and listen to what medical experts are saying. Look at the evidence in front of you. The vaccines are safe and very effective. Get vaccinated before it's too late. If not, I don't know how many more of these stories it's going to take to convince you. But, I mean, this is your life that you're playing with here. So, if you're wrong, uh, you know, uh, may the odds ever be in your favor. Because this is not something that I want to be wrong on. When it comes to stories related to health, uh, or issues related to health, rather, you don't want to be wrong here. You can be wrong on other issues. But on this issue, if you're wrong and you get COVID-19, it's catastrophic. Dr. Ahmed Al-Hadid is the ICU medical director at Jupiter's Medical Center in Florida, and he went on CNN to discuss his experience working in the ICU with COVID-19 patients, and he tears up describing this experience of nonstop pain, suffering, and death that he sees every single day, which is difficult to grapple with considering all of these deaths that he's witnessing. It's all preventable. 
these people would likely not be in the ICU had they gotten the COVID-19 vaccine. So take a look at his experience and then I wanna talk about what he says when we come back. My next guest says he is tired, exhausted, and he's working double shifts to keep up. Dr. Ahmed El-Haddad, the ICU medical director at the Jupiter Florida Medical Center, joins me now. Doctor, thank you for your time. You are frustrated, why? Thank you, Pam, for having me. We're frustrated because we're tired of seeing people die and suffer because they did not take a vaccine. The vaccine has been available since December 14, and it's readily available. Over 350 million doses have been given in the United States, and we're tired of telling the families that their loved one's not gonna make it. We're tired of telling the patients, you know, what do you have to say to your daughter or your son? I recently had a patient that's 37 years old, has two kids, and she was not vaccinated, and she had to FaceTime her kids for the last time before she had, you know, a, a tragic end. Mm. I mean, what you just described could have been me if I wasn't vaccinated. I mean, that is the scary thing, and I think that is the important point is that at this point in the pandemic, if you are not vaccinated, you could be that person you just described. How much more difficult is it right now to fight the coronavirus compared to this time last year? Well, this, this variant is eating away at the lungs. It's causing collapse of the lung. It's causing air to escape and surround the heart and compress the heart. And we're seeing the patients die faster with this variant. The patients are requiring, you know, um, everything we have, but we have no medicines to help us with this. The only thing that we see that is preventing death is a vaccine. You know, we're, we're, we're tired of seeing these people die just because they're not vaccinated. It's very frustrating. The nurses are overwhelmed. Uh, the nurses are crying. My practitioners are crying. You know, and even I, you know, when, when talking to somebody and telling them this is it, you have anything to say to your last your loved ones for the last time you're not going to say anything else we're going to put you in a chemically induced coma and you're going to be dead in a few days it's very hard to say that over and over and over again that's got to take such a tremendous emotional toll on you what is that like having to go through that day in day out it, it is very difficult um you know if it wasn't for my wife and my kids to go hope to. But it, it's even harder when it's your friends. I, I have a patient now that's the father of one of my son's classmates. And he's not expected to make it. He was not vaccinated. And I also have an ICU nurse that was just delivered a baby and didn't take the vaccine because she didn't know if it was safe or not. And it's not her fault. It's not anyone's fault. We just urge, you know, people to take the vaccine because we don't want to lose anybody else. That was really tough to watch. Seeing him tear up made me tear up. It's just, I can't imagine what it's like to see this every single day. I mean, I've talked about compassion fatigue on this program that nurses are experiencing working with COVID-19 patients who they beg to get vaccinated, they don't, and then, you know, it's the same story. But not everyone develops this, like, thick skin. A lot of people 
are traumatized working with this COVID-19 patients. He explained how, you know, nurses are overwhelmed. They're crying. General practitioners are crying. ICU doctors are crying. It's just, it's so much death that you are seeing every single day. And it's more emotional. It's more difficult to deal with knowing that every single death here could have been prevented. I mean, these doctors, individuals like him, they're going to suffer with PTSD for the rest of their lives. Sure, you can say that they signed up for this, right? They they agreed that they wanted to do this. They wanted to be medical professionals. They wanted to help people. But I mean, something like this, this is, this is too much. I mean, they're human beings. There's only so much that you can handle. And seeing this every single day, it's going to take its toll. And we saw it take its toll on him. He's the ICU medical director at Jupiter's Medical Center. And he's tearing up, describing the situation, telling another patient that they're going to die. Do you want to call your family? I mean, it's just gut-wrenching. And he said that there's a 37-year-old unvaccinated woman who had to FaceTime her kids for the last time before she died. This is heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. It really speaks to how deadly misinformation is. Because every single one of these people believed that they were better off not getting vaccinated because they either saw it from a Facebook meme or part of some Facebook group that led to them believing in anti-vax nonsense because they saw it from Fox News or Newsmax. Either way, it shows how deadly misinformation is. He's seeing the consequences firsthand of people spreading this anti-vax bullshit. He says, uh, you know, we're tired of telling families that their loved one's not going to make it. We're tired of seeing people die and suffer because they did not take the vaccine. I mean, I would imagine that if you're a doctor, the worst thing ever is having to tell a patient's family that they didn't make it, but they're experiencing this every single day, multiple times per day. And it's just so sad. So, you know, he, he, he described how, you know, he was saying to one patient or he tells patients that they're, they're not going to make it. They're going to be put in a medically induced coma. Do they want to call their family and then, you know, let them know they're going to be dead in a couple of days to do this over and over again, like him describing it once really had this, huge effect on me emotionally but to do this every single day can you imagine the trauma that these doctors and nurses have to feel the nightmares that they experience even when they get a day off they probably still can't shake the feeling of dread knowing that they're going to have to go back into work in a day or so and deal with it all over again it's like a nightmare that they can't escape it's so sad now um he lays out the differences here between the current wave with the Delta variant and previous COVID-19 waves like the dark winter that we experienced. And he makes a very powerful pitch as to why people should get vaccinated. This round, we're seeing the younger patients, 30, 40, 50 year old, and they're suffering, you know, they're hungry for oxygen and they're dying. Unfortunately, this round, they're dying faster and we're putting them on a ventilator and you know, some are dead within 24 hours. Some are lasting a few days, some are lasting a week or so. And we have to go to extreme measures to keep them alive. And at the end, you know, they're going. So there's no magic medicine. We have, we've been trying everything that anyone can think of globally to you know, try to prevent these people from dying, but it's not working. The only thing that we're finding is that the vaccine is preventing death, it's preventing patients from coming to the ICU. And yet, as we speak right now, 
there are still so many people in the country who are eligible to get vaccinated who refuse to. What is your message to them? My message is, you know, don't take a chance. Uh, there's a simple thing that you can do is just take a vaccine and it's going to fight this virus. It's going to prevent you from getting, yeah, getting into the ICU and dying. If I had told you that, you know, there's a lion in the, there's a lion in the backyard and get into your house and protect yourself, you're going to take that. You're not going to even look for the lion. You're just going to get in your house and protect yourself. So that virus is that lion. And all you have to do is take a vaccine. It's like a force field. That lion cannot touch you if you have that vaccine. So I really like the analogy that he used about the lion being in your backyard. Because, I mean, if you knew that there was a lion in your backyard, it's not like you'd come up with some alternative solution as to dealing with that. You wouldn't propose building a big cage to capture the lion. There's no time. You just do what's necessary. You go in your house and protect yourself from the lion. But the virus isn't like a lion, which is why it's so difficult, right? People can't see a virus, but they can see a lion. And they can deduce quite easily that that lion is a threat to their lives. So since they can't see a virus, they, they don't think of it as a threat. But, you know, if we think of the virus as a lion, then the vaccine acts as a sort of force field that protects you, makes it so the lion can't get to you. I think that these doctors who, who make this case, if there's going to be any success whatsoever at convincing reluctant anti-vaxxers, uh, their stories are going are gonna to do it. But then again, some people are so far gone that they think that individuals like this doctor are crisis actors and nothing will convince them. They just have to experience it for themselves, unfortunately. And I hope that that's not the case. But I mean, what do you do? There's only so much that you can do. The vaccines are free. They're widely available. You can walk into a Walgreens and get it. But people are still refusing to do it, and it's leading to this. Uh, you know, he says there's no magic medicine. The only thing that we're seeing is that vaccines are preventing deaths, and they're preventing people from going to the ICU. And that's the thing. There isn't an effective way to treat COVID-19 yet. There are things that they're using to treat COVID-19, med medications that they're using. But there's no magic bullet. The thing to stop COVID is to prevent it in the first place with the vaccines. And he says this round, we're seeing younger patients in their 30s, 40s, you know, 50-year-olds, and they're suffering, they're hungry for oxygen, and they're dying. And this round, they're dying faster. So, I mean, these stories are going to continue to get out. They're difficult to hear, like hearing him speak is, I think, probably tough for a lot of people, but I think it's really important. And at this point, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because people who are watching this channel already know the necessity of getting vaccinated. But I mean, if what you think this doctor says is going to resonate with anyone you know in your family, in your life, that is, you know, unvaccinated, share this video. Share everything that you can. I, I've kind of taken it upon myself. Every piece of misinformation that I see on my Facebook, I commit to sharing three pieces of uh, good information, accurate information about the vaccines, about the effectiveness of masks. Because if we all try some way, I mean, really, the solution is to regulate Facebook or just delete it from existence. But I mean, realistically speaking, in the short term, the best thing that we can all do is commit to like blow out the misinformation spreaders. If you see one of your friends on Facebook posting something about how masks are stupid or bad, post three more pieces of pro mask information to, to make sure you drown out 
all of the misinformation and, and it's not this isn't like a perfect solution but misinformation is so rampant currently that people who weren't even previously that political uh, are susceptible to radicalization because they're being bombarded with it so much. So whatever we can do to make a difference, even if it's a small amount, I think is is worthwhile because people are dying and uh, every life matters. Even people who are stubborn and anti-vax, I want them to not die. I want to stop them from dying. And the best way we do that is to convince them to do what's best for their own health and get vaccinated. So I want to take some time to talk about something that happened in May, and it's only a news story now because we're all just finding out about this, but this story is important because it really highlights the importance of having the right policies, you know, mask mandates, social distancing in schools to make sure that we protect children and their parents, but equally important is the necessity of enforcing these policies because you could have the correct policies, but if they're not actually enforced and nobody follows it, it's not going to make much of a difference. And that's what this story here is about. Now, keep in mind, this took place in May, and this story relates to the former COVID-19 strains, not the Delta variant. So if this story talks about a massive outbreak relating to the original COVID-19 strain, presumably, then imagine how bad things can be this time around if something like this happens again. So this is about a teacher who infected lots of students because she did not follow the proper protocols. So as Mary Poppenfuss of HuffPost writes, a single unvaccinated teacher at a Northern California school triggered a COVID-19 outbreak in May that infected 26 others, including a total of 18 students, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported on Friday. News of the startling rapid spread in the school and to students' families emerged as administrators grappled with vaccine and mask regulations for another school year in the face of Republican governors blocking mask mandates at least 90,000 students across the nation have already been quarantined at the start of this school year after contracting COVID-19 or being potentially exposed to the coronavirus. Children accounted for more than one in five new cases last week, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. The recent case examined by the CDC involves a Marin County school with 205 students from kindergarten through eighth grade. Although teachers and students at the school were required to wear masks and maintain social distancing indoors, the unidentified teacher who caused the infections had removed her mask on occasion to read aloud in her class, the CDC noted. Student desks were placed six feet apart, windows were left open, and all classrooms had high-efficiency air filters, the study noted. The teacher worked on May 19th and 20th while experiencing early COVID-19 symptoms before testing positive and taking sick leave. By May 22nd, students also began experiencing symptoms, the CDC reported. Of the teacher's 24 students, 12 tested positive. Eight of them were seated in the first two rows of the classroom. An additional six students in another grade also tested positive. Parents and siblings of students in both grades were also infected. Three of the adults who tested positive were fully vaccinated, according to the CDC. So, look, I just spoke with an epidemiologist about this very thing, and I posted a video about this on the channel, um, about the potential, you know, transmissibility of the Delta variant among children as kids enter a new school year. And Dr. Caitlin Jettelina said that, you know, you can actually have kids return to school in person relatively safely uh, by doing mask mandates, you know, social distancing. And there weren't as many cases with kids, you know, uh, last year. But things like this explain how it can be a disaster if you have one teacher not follow the proper protocols. She took off her mask 
to read aloud to the students. You don't have to take off your mask to read aloud. We can still hear you. The students can still hear you. So her recklessness led to multiple children being infected. And if this was with the older strain, the original strain, imagine what can happen this time if uh, a teacher does this with the Delta variant. How many more people will get infected? Now, what this also speaks to is the importance of educating children about the dangers of COVID-19. I'm not saying that we teach children to be overly fearful and we teach them to become hypochondriacs. Like, that's not what I'm advocating for, but children need to know about the dangers of COVID-19. So that way, if they see behavior that's improper, they know to report that to someone, tell their parents about it. If their teacher is taking off their mask and reading to them, let someone know, right? Because this is this is a very contagious, deadly virus. So they, they have to know what to look for. You know, kids are smart enough if you just explain it to them. And I see all these really weird posts on Facebook, you know, this concern trolling using kids as a political tool to explain how like we shouldn't have mask mandates because it's child abuse. People who say that don't take them don't take them seriously. Do not take them seriously. It doesn't have to be like this scary thing like, "Oh, we're going to put a mask on you kids." Like make them uh, pick out a mask that they like. I don't know, a princess mask. If I were a kid, I would think that like I was dressing up as a ninja or something. Like kids love wearing masks during Halloween. Like it doesn't have to be this scary thing, but kids need to know what's happening in the world. Educating children is really important, especially if you have a lot of teachers who probably like other individuals are, you know, anti-mask, anti-vax. So from time to time, maybe they violate protocol, but this story shows the severity of what could happen if they're not following this procedure. I mean, kids, they have to know what to look out for. They should know that during a pandemic, taking off your mask in public is inexcusable. So they should be able to look out for someone who's not doing what they should be doing. And it's hard because there's not a lot of adults currently who are good examples when, you know, we've politicized this pandemic. Or when I say we, I mean, Republicans have politicized this pandemic. But still, like, uh, this is uh, this is awful. It, it's It's scary. So... Look, I mean, all that we can do is educate children as much as we possibly can. But, you know, sending them back to school, if we're not enforcing these mask mandates that are in place, then they're going to be useless. They only work if people actually abide by these rules. And, you know, I don't want I don't want to train kids to be narcs, uh, you know, and, and tattletale on people. But this is a pandemic. This is a unique time. It's It's a bizarre time to be alive. So we need to make sure that kids are protected and they know that if their teacher isn't, you know, going to follow the procedures, they can either tell someone about it or confront their teacher themselves. I mean, this is people's lives we're talking about. This is children getting infected. So they need to know what to look for. This is this is horrifying. Senator Bernie Sanders is going on a tour around the country to promote his $3.5 trillion reconciliation package. And if he actually pulled this off and got this package passed, it would be a game changer. It'd be the most sweeping set of policies to be passed since the New Deal. We're talking about a Medicare expansion that would include dental, hearing, vision, universal pre-K to every single child in America tuition-free community colleges. And if he actually did this, I think this would secure his legacy permanently. Now, let's all be honest here. This isn't exactly what we wanted when he ran for president, right? Individually, each of these policies, they are incrementalist. Like it or not, these are incrementalist policies. Medicare for all is preferable to a Medicare expansion. Free college is preferable to just 
free community college. Having said that, though, what I think Bernie Sanders wants to accomplish is since Joe Biden is a right wing Democrat, he's taking all of the good portions of what Joe Biden ran on, all of the most progressive provisions in his platform. And he's saying, OK, if you want all of this incrementalism, we're just going to pass everything at once. We'll pass all of your agenda at once. And that way, if we're getting incrementalism, we're getting lots and lots and lots of incrementalist changes all at once, which is better than nothing. So Bernie is trying to do everything that he possibly can do to make the most progress. And I think that it's important, right? I mean, if you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. As long as we're moving forward, that's really important. Getting everything that we can accomplished before 2022, when the GOP is likely going to take back at least one chamber of Congress, is really important because we're not going to have another chance to put forward any climate-related policies. And what this would do is it would invest in clean, renewable energy. So this is important. It's not the end-all, be-all. It's not a panacea. It's not going to save the world, but would it help? Yes. So Bernie's going on a tour to promote this, and he is considering going to two states in particular of interest to a lot of people, Arizona and West Virginia. And I think that the reason why he wants to go there is pretty obvious. Because two right-wing Democrats who are standing in the way of this reconciliation package come from those states. So as Eris Foley of The Hill reports, Senate Budget Committee Chairman Bernie Sanders says he's open to paying visits to Senator Joe Manchin's and Kirsten Sinema's home states to pitch a $3.5 trillion social safety net package that would advance key parts of President Biden's legislative agenda. Sanders made the remarks in an interview with Politico published Thursday as he ramps up travel to promote the massive spending bill, which Democrats hope to pass without Republican support, using a process called budget reconciliation. But Democrats will need every Democratic senator on board to pass the bill, and they faced difficulties achieving unity among members on spending, including the $3.5 trillion price tag for the reconciliation package that both Manchin and Cinema have taken issue with. By contrast, Sanders has remained steadfast on that dollar amount, calling the number, which is just over half as much as he initially proposed, non-negotiable in the new interview. Democrats have a very slim majority in the House. We have no majority in the Senate. That's it. It is 50-50, Sanders told the outlet. Trust me, there are a lot of differences in the Senate among the Democrats. But at the end of the day, every Democrat understands that it is terribly important that we support the president's agenda, and most of these ideas came from the White House, he added. And he's saying that because I think that he knows among these moderate Democrats, Joe Biden, like you can't say that Joe Biden is socialist. So if Bernie Sanders basically pitches, the, pitches this as, hey, this is President Joe Biden's agenda, like are they going to call Joe Biden a socialist? I mean, Joe Manchin might, Kirsten Sinema might, but, you know, he, he's seemingly more reasonable to these right-wing Democrats if he pitches this as Biden's agenda. Biden, who is a right-wing Democrat. And I like that Bernie is proposing this because this is what he said he'd do if he ran for president. If you have, you know, reluctant senators like Joe Manchin uh, refusing to support your agenda, you you go to their home states and you shame them. You cuck them in their in their home states, for lack of a better word. You go to their constituents and you sell this package to their constituents. They're not going to want their constituents to turn on them because they want to get reelected. So, you know, you do what you can to exert pressure and going to the home states of these senators is, I think, really, really important. Now, Bernie Sanders 
whether or not like this has a chance of passing, he is incredibly optimistic. I'm not that optimistic, but seeing him be hopeful kind of makes me feel a little bit more assured. But still, my cynicism, I think, overall is going to win. But Bernie thinks that this is going to pass. Despite differences amongst party members, Sanders expressed confidence in the recent interview that the forthcoming spending package will still fetch the necessary votes to pass both chambers. Sanders said that every member of the caucus understands that this is transformative for the American people. It is the right thing to do, and it is politically popular, he added. So look, I mean, he's optimistic. He thinks this is going to pass. So I hope he's right. I really, really hope he's right. I'm not that optimistic, but the fact that he thinks there's a chance, I mean, I'd imagine that he believes that. Otherwise, he wouldn't go around the country wasting his time trying to sell Americans on the benefits of this package. Now, he is correct that this is incredibly popular. So any senator, right wing or not, who doesn't support this is incredibly stupid. Like, this is something that you can brag about to your constituents for the rest of your career. A USA Today Suffolk poll found that 52% of Americans support the $3.5 trillion package. Now, support does decrease as the price tag goes up, according to the USA Today Suffolk poll. However, a Data for Progress poll found that support doesn't actually change for this reconciliation package, depending on the price tag. So overall, the main takeaway is that this is popular, and that's the point that he needs to hammer home. That's the point that Democrats have got to hammer home. This is popular. If you want your constituents to be happy with you, support this. Now, as it relates to Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, they couldn't care less about what their constituents want. They basically serve their donors 100% of the time. So what you have to do is make them fearful. Make them fear that their own constituents will revolt against them if they uh, don't vote in favor of this reconciliation package. All it takes is for one deflection, and this whole entire package goes up in flames. So... You know, I think that what Bernie Sanders is doing here is really important. You know, it's not what I hoped for, right? I wanted Bernie Sanders to be pushing for Medicare for all. I wanted him to be pushing for student debt cancellation and tuition-free public colleges. But that's not the reality that we're living in. So what he's trying to do is make the best of this terrible situation. And he's trying to push Biden's agenda in any way that he can. And look, honestly... I think that Bernie cares more about these things than Biden cares about these things. I don't even think that Biden cared about any of these solutions. If you ask him what was on his uh, policy proposals, uh, like on his website when he was running for president, he couldn't name more than three, right? Biden, I don't think he cares about these things. It's evident to me that Bernie cares more about these things because Bernie Sanders actually cares about the people. And he's pushing for this more than Biden is. But at the end of the day, I don't give a shit who cares about what. All I care is that we get the results. All I care about is these policies being delivered. And it would be nice if Joe Biden did anything to assist Bernie Sanders here in trying to push for these, use his bully pulpit to exert pressure on individuals like Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema. But still, I think Bernie, him doing this here is really important. And I hope that the left gets its act together and assists Bernie Sanders here. Because what he's doing, I mean, even if all of these policies individually are incrementalist, if they're all passed at once, it would still have a huge impact on people's lives positively. And we need that. We need that. So I hope that Bernie is successful. And I hope that organizations like the Sunrise Movement and, you know, Roots Action all rise up to kind of help Bernie and, you know, direct the grassroots to assist Bernie Sanders as he tries to sell this reconciliation package to Americans across the country. Because if we got this, it would really make a difference.
So I feel like I really shouldn't have to say this because it's pretty self-evident to anyone with common sense, but the Republican Party is absolutely insane. They are off their rocker, and with each passing day, they grow more and more unhinged, and I don't even think that is hyperbolic to say that the Republican Party, like the current iteration of Republicans, they're effectively a death cult. And when you consider the fact that they refuse to expand healthcare at all, they want to gut existing social safety net programs, they want to do away with social security, they're pro-war, they're seemingly on the side of a virus that's incredibly contagious as they, you know, ban mask mandates in certain states and they spread anti-vaccine misinformation, they're effectively a death cult. And it's not like there's any silver lining. It's not like, you know, future generations are going to be any better because, I mean, you could point to some good signs that the Republican Party in the future won't be as extreme because they support, you know, pot legalization. Socially, they're becoming less and less conservative as the years go on. But is there really any hope when you consider the fact that the youngest member of Congress in the Republican Party, Madison Cawthorn, is more extreme than perhaps some of his colleagues? I mean, this is an individual who openly fantasized about a new American Civil War. Literally. And that's what we're talking about here today. And he's not fantasizing about an American Civil War. He's not fantasizing about picking up a gun and killing fellow Americans in his private diary. He's broadcasting his implicit intent to do violence to lots of people in public. So this party continues to become more and more extreme. We had a President Donald Trump. So how far out are we until we get a President Marjorie Greene or someone even worse? I mean, how far away are we from Republicans who are like literally shitting themselves in public, frothing at the mouth? Who knows? But I know that this version of the Republican Party with individuals like Madison Cawthorn, I don't want to see what a more extreme version of the GOP looks like. They're more extreme than most mainstream political parties who are electorally viable throughout the world. I mean, parties like this are usually fringe parties in Europe. I mean, that's that's changing but still the fact that they're this extreme is uh is insane and it's not going to change anytime soon as ross stories matthew chapman explains on monday cnn fact checker daniel dale flagged a speech representative madison cawthorn gave to a group of republicans in macon county north carolina in an event on sunday in which she not only continued to push former president donald trump's big lie that the 2020 presidential election was stolen but suggested conservatives may need to resort to violence to prevent such elections from happening again quote if our election systems continue to be rigged continue to be stolen then it's going to to one place and that's bloodshed said cawthorn quote there's nothing i would dread doing more than having to pick up arms against a fellow american and the way that we can have recourse against that is if we all passionately demand that we have election security in all 50 states in response to dale's fact check a spokesperson for madison cawthorn quickly tried to walk back the congressman's suggestion of civil war quote cawthorn is clearly advocating for violence not to occur over election integrity questions he fears others would erode choose that route and strongly states that election integrity issues should be resolved peacefully and never through violence. Cawthorn also provoked controversy at the Macomb County event by suggesting the jailed participants in the January 6th Capitol attack are political hostages and that he is actively working on a plan to bring Trump supporters back to the Capitol. So this is how extreme they are. They implicitly advocate for violence and then they gaslight you. Pretend like they never said that. Why would you think that he's advocating for violence? He's only saying 
that if the election is stolen again based on their conspiracy theories, which are not verifiable at all, but if they continue to be delusional and believe that the election was stolen, even if they have no evidence that that was the case, well, you know, then it might lead to some Americans picking up guns and just killing other people, doing a new civil war. And of course, he wouldn't want to do that. He definitely doesn't want to, you know, have it come to that. He dreads that, but he would do it. Oh, you think he's advocating for violence? How stupid of you. He only called the people who stormed the Capitol political hostages. Why would you think he's advocating for violence? I mean, this kind of rhetoric is exactly what encouraged people to storm the Capitol on January 6th. There's like disagreement over objective reality. He can say something. Republicans, generally speaking, can say something, and then they'll deny that they said that even if you have them on tape. They'll say, no, 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 that, that's not what I was saying. I, I meant this other thing that even doesn't make sense when you put it in context, but I meant the opposite of what you think I said. <laughs> okay. Empirical reality doesn't work that way. Okay. I think that sometimes people say things that are open to interpretation, but first of all, what you're saying is, I really hope that there's not violence, and if this party continues to spread lies about the election, there will be violence. I mean, first of all, that standard is impossible because the election wasn't stolen, and you're claiming that it is, and it's going to lead to violence, and possibly should lead to violence if it's stolen again, or you think it's stolen again because you're stupid and believe in conspiracy theories. So understand why what he's saying here is absolutely insane. So if he chooses... To propagate the conspiracy theory that another election is stolen, he's saying, well, man, that would be terrible because it could lead to violence. Okay, well, stop believing conspiracy theories. Stop spreading misinformation. You're a member of Congress, but yet you're spreading verifiably untrue things. You have no evidence that the election was stolen. Anything that you have cited as a reason as to why we should question the results of the 2020 election has been disproven a million times over. And yet you're saying, well, if people believe that this election is stolen again because we told them it was stolen, then they're going to be violent. Okay, well, if you don't want violence, wouldn't you stop spreading misinformation that leads to people being violent? Isn't this like a tacit admission that your side is pretty violent? And if you speak glowingly of the Capitol rioters, isn't that kind of like a wink and a nod to these people? Oh, I'm not promoting violence. Wink, wink, teehee. It's just, this is, this is unsustainable. Under these conditions created by the Republican Party, democracy is not long for this world. And that's not to say that the Democratic Party is good. There are many instances of Democrats being incredibly authoritarian and undemocratic. In Buffalo, for example, a socialist defeated the incumbent Democrat, and he's basically accusing her of being a radical socialist, using the same Trumpian rhetoric against that Trump used against the squad. And they're considering abolishing the position of mayor to stop her from winning. He's running this write-in campaign, Byron Brown, against India Walton. So there are instances where Democrats do things that are deeply, deeply undemocratic. Their behavior during Democratic Party primaries, where they talk about using superdelegates to subvert the will of the majority of their base, that's also incredibly dangerous. But there is the Democratic Party's undemocratic rhetoric, and then there's the Republican Party's undemocratic rhetoric. Both are bad. One of them is going to lead to the collapse of our entire fucking system if it doesn't stop, if their extremism isn't reined in even a little bit. So, I mean, everyone who is um, a functioning adult should see that the Republican Party is a threat. They're a threat to democracy in the United States. They're a violent threat 
And they're also a threat to the world, hence why I think that we should call them what they are, a death cult. I mean, climate change is going to wipe out millions of people potentially, and there's Republicans that are still denying the existence of anthropogenic climate change. So under these circumstances, I mean, they're not leaving us with many options. We can't try to reason with these people who are becoming increasingly unreasonable. So we have to try to explain to people that this party is not your friend. They are the enemy of people. They are extreme. They are insane. And the quicker more people realize how extreme the modern GOP is, when we put their extremism in context and compare them with other right-wing parties around the world, they see that this party is fucking insane and delusional, literally. But it's not going to change anytime soon, and every indication that we've gotten suggests that they're only going to continue to get more extreme, more delusional, and that's horrifying. I'm here to announce the completion of our withdrawal from Afghanistan and the end of the military mission to evacuate American citizens, third country nationals, and vulnerable Afghans. The last C-17 lifted off from Hamad Karzai International Airport on August 30th this afternoon at 3.29 p.m. East Coast time. And the last manned aircraft is now clearing the airspace above Afghanistan. We will soon release a photo of the last C-17 departing Afghanistan with Major General Chris Donahue and the U.S. Ambassador to Afghanistan, Ross Wilson, aboard. While the military evacuation is complete, the diplomatic mission to ensure additional U.S. citizens and eligible Afghans who want to leave continues. And I know that you have heard, and I know that you're going to hear more about that from the State Department shortly. Tonight's withdrawal signifies both the end of the military component of the evacuation, but also the end of the nearly 20 year mission that began in Afghanistan shortly after September 11th, 2001. It's a mission that brought Osama bin Laden to a just end, along with many of his Al-Qaeda co-conspirators. And it was not, it was not a cheap mission. The cost was 2,461 U.S. service members and civilians killed, and more than 20,000 who were injured. Sadly, that includes 13 U.S. service members who were killed last week by an ISIS-K suicide bomber. We honor their sacrifice today as we remember their heroic accomplishments. That was head of United States Central Command General Kenneth McKenzie confirming that America's longest war, the war in Afghanistan, has now officially come to an end. It's hard to believe that this is the case because this war has been going on for most of my life but it's officially over now he gave us some statistics about the war general information about how long it lasted how many american lives were lost but there was one really glaring omission as john keely of common dreams explains critics of the war noted that mckenzie though he referenced the 2461 u.s soldiers contractors and civilians killed during two decades of war in the country failed to mention in his remarks the human cost to the Afghan civilian population during that time. According to the Costs of War Project at Brown University, more than 70,000 Afghan civilians have been killed since the U.S. invasion in 2001. On Sunday, 10 civilians, all from one extended family and including children, were reportedly killed by a U.S. airstrike in Kabul. So needless to say, our presence there from start to finish has been a disaster. The way we entered was a disaster. The way that we left was a disaster. And we leave with the parting gift of blowing up civilians and multiple children. It's just heartless. 
it's disgusting and really this should serve as an example as to why future generations should never advocate for war look back to this moment look back to the afghanistan war to acknowledge that there is never a good reason to invade another country there's a lot of reasons that are cited as to why we should invade Perhaps, you know, the media will cite humanitarian reasons, but understand we always make matters worse. And we didn't just occupy Afghanistan for almost two decades. We raided them of their mineral resources. Just the entire situation is incredibly disgusting. And the fact that we're leaving is good. But still, you know, the media was screaming up until the very last second, trying to pressure Joe Biden to extend it. And the fact that he left in spite of all of this pressure, is honestly really surprising to me. And I think that uh, Trita Parsi put it best. It is a sad reality that it takes more courage in Washington to end a war than to start one. But that is precisely why Joe Biden deserves credit for going through with ending the U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan. And he's exactly right. With all of this pressure from the mainstream media who brought on neoconservative after neoconservative, warmonger after warmonger, individuals from the Bush administration who helped get us into this mess in the first place, you know, after hearing all of them, I thought there's no way that Biden is going to be able to remain, you know, strong in spite of all this pressure. But thankfully, he proved me wrong and he does absolutely deserve credit because what Parsi's saying here is correct. It is a sad reality that ending a war is more difficult than starting a new one. You have the media constantly antagonizing towards more invasions. I mean, how many times throughout the course of the last year have you heard antagonism towards uh, Venezuela, Iran? They want more wars. There's a plethora of reasons for that, right? These uh, mainstream news pundits, they came from these neoconservative administrations. They have a defense, contractor adverti defense contractors advertising on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. And some of it is just stupidity. But overall... Ending a war is more controversial and requires more courage than starting a war. That is really a sad state of affairs. It's a sad reality, but it is exactly what you can expect in a late-stage capitalist society where we commodify everything and even war becomes a money-making venture. Now, to all of the warmongers and neocons and mainstream media pressuring Biden to remain longer and longer and, you know, push back the deadline, there's one interview that I want to show uh, from... A U.S. Marine who served in Afghanistan and what he says here is just it's spot on. All these people are playing the blame game right now over what's happening right now because they want to distract us from the fact that we spent 20 years, two point three trillion dollars and twenty five hundred U.S. service member lives over there for absolutely nothing. Like the same people right now who are saying one more day, one more month, one more dollar are the same people who said that for 20 years. And what we saw last week, that what that means is one more Marine. It means one more Marine over and over again. It reminds me of the saddest day of my entire life, which was standing on the flight line in Helmand, Afghanistan, in the middle of the night, watching the fallen body of one of the members of my battalion loaded onto a transport plane to go home. These people are trying to keep us focused on what's happening right now because they have been telling the American people that it was worthwhile to spend $2.3 trillion over there for absolutely nothing while they've been refusing to spend that much building up our own country here at home and we can't let them win. We have to fight back against that narrative because it's wrong and it's just part of the systematic institutional dishonesty that has us in this position right now.
He's absolutely correct here. We spent $2.3 trillion on death and destruction, and the media still thinks we should be there longer. To accomplish what? To do what? It's just, it's frustrating that this is what we have to deal with. So I give Joe Biden credit for actually holding strong and withdrawing. Um, and I feel really bad to all of the lives that we ruined as a result of our invasion. And I just hope that this serves as a lesson for future generations and even the present generation that our presence in another country is not going to be beneficial. We need to leave these countries alone. If we believe that there's a humanitarian violation, the answer shouldn't instinctively be, well, let's go ahead and invade. The answer should be international organizations get involved, the UN get involved, whatever, but not us. Because we're not looking out for anyone in these countries. We're looking out for the pockets of these uh, defense contractors. So it's disgusting. Uh, I'm glad that the war is over. But I'm sad that, like, you know, with this war's end, will come more wars in the future. Because very clearly, like, the media hasn't learned their lesson. And if the media hasn't learned their lesson, then the U.S. citizens, unfortunately, won't have the right takeaways as well. Now, thankfully, it seems like support for the withdrawal, even if it's decreased, is mostly still surprisingly high. But still, you know, this goes to show you how powerful the media is at trying to manufacture consent. If they all scream something loud enough and all in unison, you know, it, it really, it, it it makes a difference. And so, yeah, the war is over. And I, you know, my, my thoughts on this are a little bit jumbled, but overall I feel relief and I feel just depression and sadness for all of the lives that we ruined up until the very last second. Droning children. It's just... It's morally reprehensible, but I don't think anyone will really truly be able to grapple with the scale of the destruction that our country caused being there for two decades. Okay, so I want to take a little bit of a trip down memory lane. So I'm curious, how many people watching this video right now remember Carrie Prigine? Anything? Name ring a bell? So I didn't remember this name as well until I saw this clip. I think this is going to help jog your memory. Vermont recently became the fourth state to legalize same-sex marriage. Do you think every state should follow suit? Why or why not? A marriage should be between a man and a woman. No offense to anybody out there, but that's how I was raised, and that's how I think that it should be between a man and a woman. Thank you. Thank you very much. So you remember now, right? So after she gave that answer, it went viral. Uh, she kind of had her 15 minutes of fame. She went on CNN. She was interviewed by Fox News. She appeared on Larry King Live. So I'm talking about her now in 2021 because I want to give you an update as to where she's at right now and what she's doing. Well, to no one's surprise, she morphed into a Karen. What kind of a Karen, you might be wondering? Well, she is now an anti-mask Karen who showed up to her children's school to threaten them for imposing mask mandates ahead of the new school year. Take a look. My name is Carrie Bowler. You see my shirt, it says mama, and I'm a mama bear, and I know there's a lot of mama bears here tonight, and no one's going to mess with our cubs. That's right. So you know. Uh, I'm a resident of Encinitas, born and raised San Diegan, and tonight I'm simply here to tell you to unmask our children. We're done begging. In fact, we're done asking for permission. That's right. We are going to be unmasking our children today. That's right. The pandemic is over. The parents are done. We're done asking you, public servants, for permission. We are done. 
You can all wear your masks. In fact, you can wear two masks and three masks. You can wear gloves, you can have plexiglass, you can do whatever you need to do to keep you safe. But we, the parents, believe we have a choice for our children. And I don't know who you think you are, that you think that you have more of a say than us, the parents, mm -hmm. and our doctors. Mm -hmm. I don't know who any of you think you are. I really don't. That's right. It ends today. That's right. We are declaring our freedom tonight. We do not consent to the lies, fear-mongering, and abuse. You all know it's abuse. This is tyrannical leadership, mm. poor leadership. Mm. None of you are willing to stand up for our children. This is why we are all here tonight, because we're fed up. We're done asking permission. We're done playing games. The pandemic is over. We are done, Andre. We're done. That's right. See the chairs that you're sitting in? We own those chairs. Mm -hmm. See these lights? We pay for the lights, mm -hmm. not you. And I want to let you know, Emily, you're up in 2022. Greg, you're up in 2022. Marla, you're up in 2022. And Jody, you're up in 2024. I know that myself, I would love to run for school board. And I know many, many mothers who are not coming and replace all of you. So I'm going to promise you tonight that I will campaign against you. I will, I will fundraise against you. And I will make sure that none of you ever serve in a public space ever again. That's right. The time is up. Quote, the pandemic is over. Is that how it works? Okay, let me try it. I'm rich. Don't see money falling from the sky. That's not the way that things work. Facts don't care about your feelings. The pandemic in many regions of the country is worse than it's ever been. You don't get to just say it's over and then make that be fact. The pandemic is going on. And the reason why school boards are mandating masks is to protect your children. But you're too stupid to realize that. I see that nothing has changed, Gary. She also claims uh, that mask mandates are tyrannical, and she claims that they're abuse. So if you Make children wear masks, that's a form of child abuse. Okay, we'll wait until she finds out about something that's incredibly scandalous. Halloween. I'm sure that she definitely doesn't celebrate Halloween or let her kids wear masks because, according to her, masks are child abuse. Are your kids that stupid, Carrie, to where if you make them put on a mask during a global pandemic, they would be so confused? Like, would their little heads explode? I, I, don't, I don't see the problem here. Do you want other kids to expose your children to germs. I just, I, I don't understand why you're being so petulant here. It's a fucking pandemic that is not over and putting on masks is good for your children. They are not abuse. If you talk to your children, I'm sure that they'd understand and you don't have to make it this dreadful thing, make it fun. Like if I were a kid going to school and I could wear a Ninja Turtles mask or a Power Rangers mask or a Pokemon mask. I would love that. It doesn't have to be this negative thing. It's only negative because of you, because you're petulant, because you're a conservative and you're an airhead. But I don't want to single out Carrie too much because she's not alone. Parents across the country have been showing up to school board meetings and they have been ripping them because of these mask mandates. In fact, in one county, a fight actually broke out over mask mandates and this local news reporting on it was just it, it just pay attention to the reporter's face like the look on his face you you can tell how shocked he is at what he saw unfolding before his very eyes 
Clayton County students must wear a face mask to school. That's the brand new order being issued by the superintendent. It comes just before a meeting was supposed to allow parents to have their say. But as NBC2's Dave Elias joins us live and he reveals, Dave, that decision has already been made. It has already been made, and let me tell you, what I'm seeing here is just unbelievable. Both sides are arguing over a decision that was just made by the superintendent to invoke a mandatory mask policy for 30 days. I'm told that it does take effect on September 1st. Now, you have both sides here. Uh, arguing over whether or not a mask should be worn in the schools. I can tell you that I just saw two doctors try to walk into this building and they were shoved off of the sidewalk back into the street here. So that's out of control. That's how out of control things are getting. And just looking around, we've got some sheriff's deputies here, but right now I see no authorities here. We're told that all of them are inside as tempers erupt here outside of the Lee County School District headquarters. And again, all of this may be for naught as the superintendent already made the decision to impose that mask mandate. Date. We, of course, will continue following all of these latest developments, and we, of course, will keep you posted. We're live in Lee County, Dave Elias, NBC2. When you walked in, I saw you get shoved, both of you. Can you confirm that happened in your reaction? So, actually, Dr. Wallace got shoved. Um, she was actually... I was just trying to make my way to the door so I could come in and fill a comment card, and a woman stood in front of me and bumped me out of the way. I was trying to get Cindy Banier's attention and tell her hello and thank you for coming, and a woman pushed her body into me. So, Are you shocked at what this has become? Not at all. Been watching it on social media for weeks and months and months. I'm not at all. Okay, right, right here. Look, right here. So as you can see, fists are now flying. All of this on live television. Fists are flying. Unbelievable what we are seeing here today unfold live. Now we can see the sheriff's deputies are coming out here to get between the two groups. A lot of confusion, a lot of anger, as a lot of deputies now are finally pouring in to see exactly what happened. And again, I was live and I saw somebody push one of the people that was that was uh, supporting the mask mandate. And again, now we have deputies here trying to get this under control. So, Nate, to answer your question, yes, tempers are flying here today. And again, the only word I can use to describe this in my 32 years of broadcast covering is I am shocked at what is taking place here. I love how all throughout the report, the lady in the Jesus shirt was like seen fighting and assaulting everyone. <laughs> like, it's too perfect. And what really was just like, what speaks to the sadness of the state of affairs is he asked the doctor who was assaulted by these anti-mask parents, uh, are you shocked at what this has become? Her answer, not at all. She's not shocked. Doctors aren't shocked. Nurses aren't shocked. To see the meltdown by adults to see these temper tantrums, this is just to be expected in the United States of America. Uh, but there's another county that I, I want to show you where uh, this man showed up 
to a meeting and he decided to epically own the school board by calling their masks face diapers. And he also threatened uh, implicitly to do violence. That's my father-in-law right there speaking on behalf of my, his grandkids. <coughs> you with that diaper on your face, if he farted right now, could you smell it? That's how stupid this is. We're all playing games here with people's lives and I'm sick of it. I represent all these hardworking guys that couldn't be here today to take off work to put up with this BS that you guys are putting down. And there's hell coming. There's hell coming, and I'm not doing it to threaten anybody. But there's a lot of good guys out there ready to do bad things soon. Watch what's coming. These, these mandates are against the Nuremberg Codes. The first one states voluntary informed consent. Are you a Nazi? What is it? You're gonna send, they send my dad off to Vietnam and, and fight for the country, but you're going to tell him to wear a mask? Sir, um, I appreciate the fact that I can't control myself. There's a lot of other guys that control myself, that can't control themselves. Talk to me. That's talk why they're me. not here right now. Somebody. I have nothing else to say. Do what's right. There's a lot of bad things coming. I mean, this is the stupidity that we are seeing again and again and again. And by the time this video is uploaded to YouTube, there'll be five more videos of anti-mask parents showing up to school board meetings and screaming at people. This is the America that we live in now. The dumbest timeline imaginable. And he says, these mandates are against the Nuremberg Codes. No, mask mandates and vaccine mandates are not against the Nuremberg Codes. This is like a new thing that they're all saying. Like, remember at first, a couple of months ago, they were saying, you can't actually ask for my, vi my vaccination status because that violates my HIPAA rights. So they find these buzzwords that they don't understand, and then they cite it as like a get-out-of-jail-free card. No, mask, uh, mask mandates and vaccine mandates, they do not violate the Nuremberg Codes. The Nuremberg Codes refer to experimental medicine requiring consent from people. You can't conduct medical experiments on people unless they consent. The vaccines are not experimental. When they were in their clinical trial phase, all of the participants gave their consent to be participants. They're no longer experimental. Masks are not experimental at all. They have been proven to be effective. So what you're saying is dog shit. You're trying to find some way to reason against these mask mandates, but you're just unreasonable. But he's not the only individual to threaten violence because another person who's actually running for public office in the state of Pennsylvania, as a Republican, of course, claimed that, you know, all we have to do is forcibly remove these school board members. Just do violence. Just remove them. And then that's how we get rid of the mask mandates. Take a look. We got parents looking at the bylaws. I plan on going in these school boards. Ian and other strong men. Men, where are you? Men, wake up, smell the coffee. Let's go. Make men great again, right? Make men men again. Let's go. Men, I need you. I need you in the coming weeks because when we walk into those school boards, we're going to have everything we need to do to go in there with those 90 school boards that voted to put these masks back on the children with no scientific. It's done giving them the research and the data. Do you understand that? Forget going into these school boards and bringing data. You go into school boards to remove them. That's what you do. Forget. They don't follow the law. They don't follow the law. 
You going in, you remove them. I'm going in with 20 strong men. I'm going to speak in front of the school board, and I'm going to give them an option. They can leave or they can be removed. And then after that, we're going to replace them with nine, nine parents, and we're going to vote down the, the mask mandates that evening. That evening. This is how you get stuff done. Forget writing your legislators. Forget it. They're not listening. You got to do something. It's us. It's we the people. When I see criminals trying to take my rights and my beautiful children and everything that they're going to do, you're going to have to take my life. There's no way. I'll die on this hill. There's no way. No way. He seems like a very reasonable, well-adjusted, responsible adult. I just, these people are um, making me lose whatever hope I had left in humanity. It's that easy. You just um, institute democracy by forcibly removing those people violently and imposing your will on everyone else by having people who agree with you vote after you forcibly removed the other people. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. And and he claims, ironically so, that, uh, you know, he's done giving them research and the data because they're just not listening to reason. Except you're the one not listening to reason. The research and the data is on our side. It's on the side of the people who support mask mandates, not on your side. What do you have? Some InfoWars article? Some Facebook meme? You have nothing. And that's why you're getting frustrated because you have no fucking argument. You're growing more petulant and parents like you are having to resort to temper tantrums because you know this is about feelings. It's not about facts. It's about you wanting to pretend as if the pandemic is over when it's not, when these mask mandates are literally instituted to protect your children and protect you. Stop them from bringing home a virus from one of their friends and spreading it to you and your parents so they you know don't infect their grandparents but they don't care and like the videos that i've shown you i just want to stress that this is just a small fraction of what's been happening because across the country this has been a non-stop phenomenon how prevalent these incidents are cannot be overstated as Tess Owens of Vice News reports, from coast to coast, grown American adults have been exhibiting bizarre behavior at school board meetings, including throwing full-blown tantrums, threatening violence, and even getting arrested. These often absurd displays are coupled with the unrelenting tragedy of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is running rampant in states with low vaccination rates, posing a grave threat to the country's ability to get the virus under control before even deadlier variants show up. Earlier this week, a dad walked his 10th grade daughter Daughter to Fort Lauderdale High School, where she was turned away four consecutive days for failing to comply with the mask policy. As he was filming the interaction on his phone, a masked high schooler said, I've had enough for four days, according to NBC, and tried to grab his phone. He then grabbed the girl's arm, twisted it behind her back, and pushed her against a gate. School resource officers and a security guard pulled him off her. He's since been charged with child abuse. Broward County was also the site of a chaotic and unruly school board meeting this week as the polarizing issue of mask mandates has transformed the usually dull setting of school board meetings into a magnet for conspiracy theorists and culture warriors. Parents flocked to the meeting to protest the school district's proposed COVID-19 testing protocols. There, they spouted disinformation about a chemical used 
to sterilize most medical devices, including nasal swabs. At a school board meeting in Palm Beach, Florida, this week, a man repeatedly refused to sit down in a special room reserved for unmasked individuals and was ultimately arrested. At a school board meeting in San Antonio, where local officials have also adopted a mask mandate in defiance of state law, two police officers had to physically carry an unmasked woman out of the room while she was still seated. A school board meeting in Douglas County, Colorado, also went completely off the rails amid debate over their recent adoption of a mask mandate for school kids. Parents accused the board members of being the mask Gestapo, reported Denver's KUSA Kyle Clark. Other parents said they'd moved to Douglas County specifically to escape the mask policy in Denver. Another speaker who previously ran for school board claimed there was a sniper on the roof because the board members feared the parent voice. And late last week, Louisiana State School Board meeting in Baton Rouge descended into chaos when it was hijacked by a rabble of nearly 200 angry parents plus a conservative evangelical preacher who were there to protest the statewide mask mandates for schools. This is happening everywhere, all across the country. And if you want to see the insanity firsthand, all you have to do is show up to one of these school board meetings. What are we doing? You have parents blasting school board members for doing something that protects their children. But what are they doing in return? They claim that they're harming children. No, contrary to your deluded beliefs, they're doing this to protect your children and to protect other children. But yet you view this as tyranny and an abuse of freedom because you're stupid and you're a petulant child. So these tantrums are probably going to die down as school gets back in session. But, you know, this behavior from parents has led to many school board members across the country resigning because they can't take it. I mean, could you put up with this level of abuse? Like you do something that's logical to protect children and then this is the response. You have parents showing up to these meetings, yelling at you, screaming at you, antagonizing you, threatening violence against you. I mean, if I were in the position of any of these school board members, I would tell them to uh, get fucked and walk off. Because, uh, and I'd be, I'd be telling the parents that, to be clear, because this is, this is just abusive. It's disgusting. Like, what they're doing, they believe that they're defending freedom, but in actuality, they're the ones who are being tyrannical. They're the ones who are advocating for the spread of a virus during a pandemic. They're the bad guys, but they think they're the good guys. It's just truly morally reprehensible, but totally predictable in 2021 America, where so many people have been deluded by conspiracy theories to the point where they don't even exist in reality anymore. They're living in their own fucking worlds, and I'm sick of it. They can try to pretend as if the pandemic is over. They can try to, you know, fight these mask mandates, but if you want to live in civilized society, we don't have to buy into your delusions. Masks work, masks are effective, and we're doing it to protect all the other children not just your kid. So shut the fuck up, stop throwing a tantrum, and maybe set a good example for your child. So Donald Trump sat down for an interview with an OAN reporter, and I use the word reporter very charitably here. Really, this is a propagandist at OAN. But he asked Donald Trump a question that is just absurd. Uh, he asked if Donald Trump believes Joe Biden is going to bring in refugees from Afghanistan because this is what's going to help Democrats win future elections. It's not because we ruined their country and we have a moral obligation to bring in Afghanistan refugees here. 
it's because this is going to be the Democratic Party's plan to win elections. Now, it's not even like Joe Biden is planning on doing much to help Afghanistan refugees. We really should be bringing in millions of Afghanistan refugees. But there are reports about how the U.S. is scrambling to find other countries to take in Afghanistan refugees. So, on its face, this is an absurd thing to even consider. Nonetheless, Trump kind of shoots it down, but he has different conspiracy theories that he's going to introduce into the conversation, and he's going to contradict himself multiple times, further signaling that he is indeed declining mentally, as he accuses Joe Biden of declining mentally, which is true to an extent. But Trump is very clearly not well mentally, and the prospect of him running for president in 2024 truly terrifies me but nonetheless let's take a look and see what he has to say why do you think and this is another thing just talking like about the middle east why would the biden administration want to allow by the end of this year by most figures i've looked up it's going to be 1.5 2 million Millions illegal people, yeah, yeah Millions. 2 million by the end of the year why would you want to do that are you trying to then and i we see we're shipping them they're shipping them to the midwest the south red states mostly is this a planned for another way to cheat at elections. So they say it's the votes, but I don't think so again. You know, do you I don't want to be naive. I think they're grossly incompetent. I really do. I don't think it's the votes because they cheat on the elections. They don't need votes. They cheat on the elections. I mean, you look at 43,000 votes were found last night. They cheat on elections. When you cheat on elections, you don't have to destroy the country. They're destroying our country. Our country will not survive this. Our country will not survive. And look at where they're coming from. They're coming from Yemen. They're coming from the Middle East. They're coming from all countries that are very sick countries, very sick, very uh, mean, nasty. They're coming from all countries that have problems. They're not going to be helpful to us, these people. And a lot of them are criminals. Right. They're emptying their jails. If you look at Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and others, they're emptying their jails into our country. Can you believe it? So that was absurd. Before I talk about Donald Trump's response here, I just want to get to that question that the reporter asked. You know, uh, is this plan uh, to bring in refugees just another way that Democrats are going to cheat? Like, what an idiotic question. That's absurd on its face. If Democrats are already cheating, like if you genuinely believe that, why would they need to do anything to further enhance their cheating? If they're rigging it, wouldn't they just like change the numbers or do what they do, make up ballots? Why would they need to bring in refugees from Afghanistan to cheat further? It, it doesn't make sense. And I think that Trump, he's deep enough in this conspiracy theory to point that out. But I just want you to like appreciate how absurd it is that you have this seemingly serious news reporter asking such a bizarre question i mean truth and words have no meaning in 2021 america you could just make things up say things that are absurd and lots of people millions of people will believe you that's the reality that we live in where reality is actually questionable and objective truth is up for debate it's all subjective there's no empirical reality it's all up to someone's interpretation it's just it's really sad but uh, Trump contradicted himself multiple times. So he says, you know, they cheat in elections. They don't need votes. So he kind of disputed that fact. But then um, towards the end of that clip, he then walked back his refutation of the claim that Democrats are bringing refugees from Afghanistan here by saying, well, look at where they're coming from. They're coming from Yemen. They're coming from the Middle East. Wait, 
are they coming here to cheat? Because you just said that if they're already cheating, they don't need to do that. So I, I don't like fully understand the claim that he was making. And to be honest, I don't believe that he did as well. But do you believe or do you not believe that they're importing votes here? Because this has been long maintained by Republicans that Democrats are bringing in people to vote. Right? They're importing people from Latin America. They're importing people from around the globe to vote further broaden their base. So what do you believe? He also says, um, when you cheat on elections, you don't have to destroy the country. And then immediately after that, he says, they're destroying our country. Our country will not survive this. Wait, when you cheat on elections, you don't have to destroy the country, destroy the country by bringing in people here. But then he says, they are destroying the country. And then he says, they are bringing people here. And he says our country will not survive this, will not survive the cheating or the bringing people here. It's incoherent. Like what he's saying, meaningless. It means nothing. Uh, what I can extrapolate from that is that he believes in conspiracy theories and that he's delusional. That's the takeaway. And if you're wondering whether or not he had a change of heart about the big lie that he was spreading, no, he still believes that the election was stolen. Take a look. I got 75 million votes, more than any sitting president's ever gotten. He didn't get 81 million votes. There's no way he got 81. There's no way that he got 81 million votes because I don't like Joe Biden, so there's no way that that many people like Joe Biden as well. Also, you know, the media, they're really mean to me. And, you know, a lot of people hate me unnecessarily and arbitrarily so. Uh, but yet I'm also super popular and everyone loves me and I've got the most votes, you know, of any sitting president. Except Biden did get more votes than me, but we're not going to mention that. It's a lie. It's just like this man is is dumb. There's no other, like, way to put it. You just have to be frank. He's, he's a dumb fuck. Trump's actually a dumbass. He probably has eaten paint chips for his entire life, including, you know, a portion of his adult life, uh, he's just truly stupid. So, of course, you know, this is the type of person who says things that resonate with people because we have a lot of Americans who also think in this irrational, delusional, conspiratorial way. So, he doesn't necessarily have to make sense so long as he says enough words to where people can take those words and attribute meaning to his words, right? So, that's why being clear and concise doesn't really make a difference for Donald Trump because the incoherent nature of his speaking is what I think is alluring. It's what makes him enduring because you know he says like oh when you cheat in elections you don't have to destroy the country they're destroying our country like to normal people with brain cells that work that sounds like a contradiction but to his base they think oh well that makes perfect sense because it means and then they fill in the blank with their own meaning it's why make america great again resonated with so many people because it's vague right what does it mean I don't know what what when do we want to go back to when america was great like when was it last great what's the time period he doesn't say he leaves that up to interpretation and i don't necessarily think it's because donald trump is some marketing genius i think that you know uh dumb minds think alike and he's stupid so people understand him because he's he's on their level and you know i don't mean to be overly crass and put down people we all have our flaws, nobody's perfect, but after seeing like the anti-mask, anti-vax rhetoric throughout the pandemic, the conspiratorial thinking of Americans, I don't have much hope for American society. I think that if people like Donald Trump continue to be influential, 
then, you know, the country will further circle the drain. And, and, you know, what's really frustrating to me is it's not even about Donald Trump. If he doesn't run in 2024, Republicans, their base is going to pick the, the next biggest deluded person, either Ron DeSantis or Marjorie Greene. So it's just, it's really frustrating. What we need is someone in the Republican Party to somehow bring this base back to reality. But if they go against the grain, if they try to swim against the current, they're going to get, you know, they're going to get blown out. So we're in this unwinnable situation where hyperpolarization will continue. And it's because, you know, it's not just about policy disagreements anymore. It's about these conspiracy theories that are not verifiable, but they're continuing to drive a wedge between Americans and hurt democracy overall. And to see things like this, to see Donald Trump continue to spread these lies, it is absolutely hurtful to democracy. And we have to call it out as much as we want to move on from Donald Trump, because what he's saying here is dangerous. When Donald Trump was spreading his big lie about the 2020 election, Tucker Carlson was one of the few individuals who actually dared to push back against that narrative and ask for a little bit more evidence, and he received a lot of backlash for doing that. However, fast forward to today, and he's not going to make that mistake again. He knows what his viewers want to hear, and he's going to tell them exactly what they want to hear. He's going to give them the conspiracy theories that they are thirsty for. So when it comes to the California recall election of Gavin Newsom, Tucker Carlson just made things up about the election. Take a look. Well, in 15 days, the long-suffering residents of the state of California will have a chance to hold someone accountable, their governor, Gavin Newsom, who has so mismanaged the state they can't keep the lights on, crime is skyrocketing, wildfires are so bad right now in Tahoe, people can't go outside. And in 15 days, Voters in California will be able to recall him. Is it just voters in California? In California, non-citizens can vote. So can people who don't live in California vote? Seems kind of racist to prevent them from voting just because you don't live there. We can't answer those questions. We're not election officials. What we can say is in 15 days, democracy is a chance to work. Let's hope that it does. Non-citizens are not eligible to vote in this recall election. That's a lie. He made that up. But what he's doing here is providing Republicans like Larry Elder with an excuse. So in the event the recall effort fails, well, it's not necessarily because Republicans didn't turn out to support one of the Republican candidates running against Gavin Newsom. It's because, you know, Democrats allowed non-citizens to vote. This is a lie that is continuously spread, but it just changes a little bit, right? Back in 2015, when we saw Republicans advocate against admitting Syrian refugees, well, what was the argument? Well, they just want to, like, you know, um, change the demographics so that way Democrats uh, have a better chance at winning. They're essentially importing new voters. They say the same thing about immigrants from Latin America. They're saying it now about Afghanistan. In fact, an OAN reporter was asking Donald Trump about this very thing. Are they just, like, trying to win elections by importing Afghanistan refugees here? So this is what they do. But it's a lie. You don't get to just make up things, right? And if anything, the Republican Party, they're the ones who are resorting to cheating in order to win elections. That's why after Donald Trump's big lie, we're seeing them change the rules in so many states. All of the things that actually drove turnout, like drive-through voting in Texas, for example, they're trying to get rid of that. Mail-in voting, that drove turnout. So in a number of states, they want to get rid of that as well. They want to impose strict draconian rules, voter ID laws, all to make sure that fewer people vote because they're the ones cheating. So when they say things like this, it's all 
projection. But when it comes to the California recall election, this is a really serious moment that I think people need to take seriously because what we're about to witness is possibly a power grab by the GOP who's taking advantage of California's absurd laws. But while we're on the subject of the California recall election, I do want to give you some additional details about this because if Democrats don't actually perform here if they don't get out the vote for their party then what we're seeing is a republican takeover of california which could be catastrophic given the options that will likely come to power larry elder most likely but jake johnson of common dreams gives us some additional details and adds the effort to recall newsom advanced in june after proponents gathered enough signatures more than 1.7 million to trigger the election early voting began this month and californians who opt to participate will face two ballot questions one asking whether newsom should be recalled and another asking who should replace him according to 538 recent polling on the first question is very close with 50.6 percent of californians saying they want to keep newsom in office and 46.3% saying they want him removed. If more than 50% vote yes on the first question, the challenger with the most votes will become California's next governor. It's going to be a very tight race, Representative Rokana told The Hill last month. I think people realize this is not a slam dunk. Larry Elder, a longtime right-wing radio host who recently said the ideal minimum wage is $0 an hour, has emerged as the Republican frontrunner to succeed Newsom. Democrats, for their part, have launched what's been described as the largest voter mobilization effort in state history to keep Newsom in office, but as the Los Angeles Times reported, Newsom and the state Democratic Party successfully deterred any prominent Democratic politician from running in the election. That means if voters recall the Democratic governor from office next month, the newspaper observed, his replacement is likely to come from a group of top Republican candidates, almost all of whom have publicly supported former President Donald Trump. Now, the extent to which the Democratic Party of California's voter mobilization effort will be successful We'll have to wait and see, but they've already messed up the messaging plan by being so cartoonishly corrupt. So the way that it works is if a majority of Californians vote yes on the recall, then the person, as this article was explaining, who has the most votes will automatically become the governor. That means that a Republican only needs a plurality, not a majority, to become governor. So think of how absurd that is. You just need a simple majority to get rid of the current governor, but a plurality will suffice for the new governor if the recall is successful. That doesn't even make sense. But Democrats botched this entire thing by telling everyone to vote no on the recall and don't select an alternative in the event Gavin Newsom is recalled because the establishment, the Democratic Party establishment in California, they don't want to roll the dice and have somebody replace Gavin Newsom, who's not part of the establishment. So they'd rather risk handing the state to a Republican than actually trying to work with some other Democrat who is obviously a better alternative to one of these fucking lunatics like Larry Elder. And Larry Elder, for the, for those of you who don't know, this is an individual that months before he announced his campaign said... Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to run for governor because I don't have the temperament. Like, this is something he literally said about himself, and now he might become the governor. But don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. Uh, most recently, somebody that you know quite well has approached me. And I said, I subscribe to the Walter Cronkite philosophy. I'd love to serve. I hate to have to run. I just don't believe I have the stomach, the temperament. The personality, the drive, 
the willingness to deal with these do-fi in Sacramento for the next several years of my life? Uh, have I exhausted all of my excuses yet? Anyway, thank you very much for that. It's very flattering, but no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna run. I, I would miss being on the radio as well. So, I mean, there's not much that he can do as governor or some other right-wing lunatic can do as governor if they get elected, given that the legislature in California is still held by Democrats, but he can still do a lot of damage as governor. He can still get rid of mask mandates. He could try to pull a DeSantis in California. And this is all horrifying. During a pandemic, even if Gavin Newsom is terrible, he's still preferable to one of these Looney Tunes who probably think that the pandemic is a hoax. Like, I'm not sure where Larry Elder stands, but I'm sure he's anti-mask. I'm sure he's anti-vax because basically that's the default position of Republicans. So this effort is, um, you know, it's if Gavin Newsom survives this, I think it'll be a miracle, basically. And I hate Gavin Newsom, but if I lived in California, I'm definitely voting no on the recall. Because even if he's terrible, I think the way to replace him is to wait until there's a Democratic primary in the state to get rid of him that way, not risk having some right-wing lunatic coming to power. But if it is the case that Gavin Newsom does survive this recall effort, it won't be because California is importing immigrants or allowing non-citizens to vote, as Tucker Carlson is claiming. It'll be because that voter mobilization effort paid off and because Californian voters rejected these right-wing lunatics. But who knows what's going to happen? Um, I hope that he survives this recall effort, even if I'm not a fan of him. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But these lies about the elections in the country, you know, across the country, spread by people like Tucker Carlson, is deeply harmful. And if there's no accountability for these lies about the elections that take place in this country, democracy is not long for this world. And I'm not being hyperbolic about that. So somebody needs to hold Tucker Carlson accountable in a meaningful way at Fox News. Otherwise, they're they're literally choosing ratings and clicks over democracy, which is uh, gross. But I mean, in a late stage capitalist society, democracy is doomed to fail at some point in time. So maybe we're, we're going to watch that moment now in the coming years, you know, if lies about elections continue with Republicans. But this is just like a microcosm of a bigger issue with the conspiracy theories in the Republican Party. Reuters journalist Jan Wolf shared a couple of clips from a documentary aired in Australia, from ABC News Australia actually, of an Australian journalist confronting Janine Pirro for the lies that she spread about the 2020 election. And her reaction to this confrontation here is very telling, because as you're going to see, she has nothing to say about the lies that she spread. Take a look. I'm a much easier. Would you mind taking a picture? What's the answer? Uh, <laughs> Fox Security quickly appeared with their own questions. If you're, if you are, if you are, if you are who you say, if you are who you say you are, why are you not being cooperative? You're with the press, right? We're a press agency. So we're being cooperative while you can't be cooperative. I, I don't have to tell you what I'm doing or who I am because I'm standing here in public naked and filming and you don't own the building. You don't own the right to the image of the building. Perhaps it was this moment that finally put paid to my request to interview the current Fox CEO, Lachlan Murdoch. I mean, she just stood there like a deer in headlights. I would be able to easily defend that belief. But Judge Jeanine Pirro, she knows 
that the election was not stolen. Judge Janine Pirro is a propagandist. She saw that all of the eyeballs were migrating away from Fox News and going to OAN, to Newsmax. Because a lot of Fox News hosts, they weren't propagating the big lie as much as these smaller networks were. I mean, it's not like everyone at Fox News was pushing back against this narrative, but they weren't all in lockstep as they usually are. But Judge Deneen Pirro, she knew that if she deviated from the narrative that her viewers wanted her to push, she would lose viewers. She would lose ratings. And she was chasing ratings. That's why she spread this conspiracy theory. But she doesn't actually believe it. She knows. She's smart enough to know that the election was not stolen. As dumb as she acts, she's smart enough to acknowledge that basic fact. And the damage that people like her caused to our democracy is irreparable. Now, the full documentary is pretty long. It's called Fox and the Big Lie. Trump returns the campaign trail amid stolen election lawsuits. And I'll link to it down below. But before you check that out, I do want to show uh, one more clip to you. This one featuring Sidney Powell with the same Australian reporter who confronted her about very basic facts about the claims that she made. And as you're going to see, she refused to answer any questions and ended up abruptly ending the interview. Take a look. Let's get a few simple facts straight. In how many states were Smartmatic machines and software used in the 2020 election? I don't even know the exact numbers. But you were making some um, big statements, very dramatic, critical statements about Smartmatic. You must have known what their involvement was in the election. Oh, you'd have to go look at our complaint against with, res with respect to the four states that we filed legal complaints in to get the details of that. A Google search would have shown you that Smartmatic was operating in one single county in California. Well, I'm saying I think their involvement's probably a lot bigger than that. What research or fact-checking did you do at the time to find out what Smartmatic's actual involvement in the election was? Do you work for Smartmatic? You've made an allegation against Smartmatic that they stole a presidential election. I think it's incumbent on both of us to know what Smartmatic's involvement was. It seems like a pretty foundational fact. I mean, I'm confused right now about why you're here. Because you made a series of very strong allegations against Smartmatic and against Dominion, containing many errors of fact. Do you accept the fact now that the company that you accused of stealing a national election only operated in one county, in LA, in California? One county, one state? No, I'm not prepared to accept that fact. I think Smartmatic's involvement was far more significant than that. Do I think they're trying to minimize their involvement? Of course I do. You said that Smartmatic owns Dominion. How do you justify such a basic factual error? I'm going to stop this interview. It's wholly inappropriate in the litigation that we're in. But we're not even in the area of great dispute. These are the simple facts no. of who owns what. No, we're done. I'm sorry. These are facts. When we are in litigation against me personally, I, I understand that. For we're, billions yes, of dollars. Yes, I understand that these are very serious. Now, let me remind you that Sidney Powell's lawyers in defense of her after she was hit with, de with the defamation lawsuit claimed that no reasonable person would take the claims that she made about the election being stolen seriously. And that's true. 
But unfortunately, it seems like we don't have that many reasonable people here in the United States because millions of Americans believe the lies that people like her spread. And I know people might wonder, Mike, why are we talking about the 2020 election in 2021? Why are we talking about Donald Trump? Because this is important. Donald Trump might still run for president again in the future. And this lie, it's still believed by millions of Americans. At least half of the Republican Party believes this lie. So the people who propagated this lie, this conspiracy theory, they haven't been held accountable. And if there's zero accountability for harmful lies about democracy, then guess what? That incentivizes this behavior again to where any future election that doesn't go the way that Republicans want it to go, what are they going to do? They're going to claim that it was stolen. Because if there's no consequences for these lies that are dangerous, then why not do it again? You didn't do anything wrong. It was uh, stolen from you. It was robbed. And democracy can't survive under these circumstances. I mean, think about this. It took centuries for the United States government to socially get everyone to accept democracy. Like, it's embedded culturally. We all believe in democracy, even authoritarian Republicans who are anti-mask. They show up to these school board meetings and the first thing they scream is freedom, right? We all supposedly believe in democracy because we were conditioned to believe in democracy. But in the span of less than a year, Donald Trump and a couple of ghouls like Janine Pirro, Sidney Powell and other actors, they undid all of that, delegitimized our entire electoral process. And they got people to believe this big lie that is going to kill democracy if people don't come back to reality. Now, that's not to say that you can't criticize our democracy. I think that our democracy needs to be more democratic. I think we have to abolish the electoral college. We need proportional representation. We need multi-parties, a uh, multi-party system. There's a lot that I would do to further enhance democracy, but democratization is an ongoing project, right? It's not like you become a democracy and that's it, you're finished. No, it's an ongoing process and each generation is supposed to add to the process, further uh, enfranchise more people, expand rights to people. But in this generation, we've taken great strides backwards to get people to believe not only that democracy no longer works in the United States, but that authoritarianism, maybe a coup, might be preferable. So the people who spread these lies, they have to be confronted and they should never be able to live this down because of how harmful it is. So I give credit to that Australian news reporter for caring and uh, confronting people like Janine Pirro. Their responses should tell you everything that you need to know. They don't believe this. They're lying to you. If you're a Fox News viewer, they were lying to you. They were telling you what they thought you wanted to hear. Well, that's all that we have for today's show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And thank you if you've made it this far in the episode. I really appreciate the small audience that always tunes into these full episodes every single week. We have like a really small audience who listens to this, uh, the audio version and a small audience who always tunes into the to the full episodes. I really appreciate it. If you want to watch these full episodes before anyone else, uh, you can sign up to be a Patreon patron or YouTube member. At the $5 level, you get these uh, full episodes every single Friday, usually before Fridays. So um, yeah, support the show more if you want to. And if you're already supporting the show, then thank you so much. Like and share these videos. You know, doing that goes a long way. Commenting really helps us with the algorithm. 
So yeah, well, I'll see you all next week. I think I'm done talking. I've exhausted my brain energy, and I'll have to leave it there. So take care, everyone. My name is Mike Figueredo. This has been The Humanist Report. I'll see you all next week, folks. Bye.